Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. One of you in the house of the Lord today on this chilly Sunday morning, thank you for being in God's house today. Uh, If you will, turn with me this morning to the book of Genesis. I'm not trying to continue Genesis on Sunday morning. However, I did notice whenever we did uh, connect groups this past, uh, or not connect groups, yeah, I know it wasn't connect groups. It was Brother Mason. Yeah, it was connect groups because he preached last Sunday night that uh, uh, he took his text from the book of Genesis as well. So I'm thinking everybody just really wanted to go on with Genesis. I just, just It's like a subversive way of their trying to let us know that. Uh, but Genesis chapter number 6 today, so good to be back in the house of the Lord. Tell you what, whenever you miss a Sunday and then there's connect groups on Wednesday, it seems like it's been a week since I've been in church or or more it seems like two weeks i guess uh, almost and uh, that's just too long too long for this boy right here i'm telling you right now i hate being sick and i know everybody does but i, I was like there's five or six other other days out of the week it could have happened on and it had to happen on a stinking sunday for me you know it, i could have taken i'd taken any other day of the week but it had to be on a sunday uh, but uh, that's the day amen that is uh, most responsibility, I can't say really most, uh, because all the other days of the week help me get to where I'm at on Sunday. But nonetheless, as being here and being with you all, and uh, I like being in church too. Even if I was a saint, I would hate being sick on Sunday. And I am a saint in many regards. I'm a saint and a pastor. I, I don't know if you realize that or not, but uh, I need what's spoken from this pulpit as much as we all need it. And this is a body, is a ministry. Amen. Genesis chapter number 6, and I'm going to read verses 5 through 8. Thank everybody again for being here. And I know it's cold, and I hope it's comfortable in here today. I think it's comfortable. Amen. And here on this platform, it feels even another foot level of comfort. Uh, I feel the heat a little bit more up here than when I was standing over there. But uh, nonetheless, that's okay. Genesis chapter number 6, verse number 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I, made, that I have made them. Verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found grace. So you have all of this, this calamity and the way that mankind is bent on evil and wickedness. And it just seems altogether just horrid and bad. And we're going to hit the reset button. We're going to stop, start over. And yet in all of this, it says, but Noah found grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. For a little while this morning, want to teach, minister, whatever. I'm going to talk to you about grace unveiled beyond transaction to transformation. Beyond just transaction to transformation. Uh, 
Amen. Let's pray today. Father, I love you, Lord Jesus, today. I'm thankful, Lord, for the opportunity, God, to be here. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, for health of body, Lord, to be able to stand in this place. So, Lord, God, that we've gathered together today to honor you, Lord, with worship. We've come together to honor you, God, with our lives. God, we've come, Lord, to center ourselves, Lord, at the table of your word. God, to hear what it would speak into our hearts and our lives, God, praying that we would be made better by it, that it would be instructive, God, for our lives today. And we'll not fail to thank you, Lord, for what you accomplished through and by your word in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray in the church say amen amen Amen. you may be seated today hallelujah the first instance the first instance of the word grace in our English Bibles of it actually saying grace is right here in Genesis chapter number six where the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord And though this is the first time that grace is mentioned in our English Bibles, it's not the first time that grace has has shown up. It's not the first time that grace has been demonstrated in the word of the Lord. We know without doubt that even the book, uh, the first chapter of the book with Adam and even the first family, that there was a certain level of grace that was demonstrated to Adam and Eve whenever God came down and he, he had his discussion with them as we have discussed in prior weeks and that he even clothed them uh, beyond their aprons that they had made with fig leaves in essence that was an act of grace of him showing grace to them whenever he took them and set them outside of the garden of Eden after their transgression so that they wouldn't eat the tree of life and perpetuate life as they knew it after the fall uh, that was really an act of grace so we have grace demonstrated even in the first family but this is the first time that the word grace is mentioned in scripture and in Genesis 6 God has really taken inventory of the world He's taken inventory of mankind. He's taken a pulse, if you will, of the condition in which the world was. And the results that came back were were not very very, uh, encouraging. The results that came back were, were quite poorly whenever he took this inventory, seeing that mankind, it wasn't as though it was a certain sect of people, but it was all of mankind collectively that the Bible says that there was there was wicked and there was thoughts of evil in their minds continually it's not like a here and there once in a while but it was something that totally occupied their minds these evil thoughts continually and so God no doubt to a certain degree we see in verse number six he he is he is disappointed with the outcome of mankind the Bible even says that he repented or rather that he, he was changing his mind about whether or not this man that he had made and put up on the earth, he was disappointed with the outcome of man. And he had determined according to Scripture, and I know it's hard for our minds to wrap around this to a certain degree, but he had determined then to destroy mankind that was upon the earth. Destroy mankind. But in reality, God destroying mankind during the flood is no different than a day that will still come of a destruction for mankind. Uh, But in this moment of destroying mankind, God sees a man, something compels God, and says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So that even in a day that is still yet approaching, that there will be uh, mankind destroyed and it will be 
by and large due to their own choices, decisions and such, there is always, and this is the way with God from the beginning to the end of the Bible, amen, and beyond. And that is in all of God's per se destruction and judgment, you'll always find a, a light of grace. God always extends grace before he ever brings judgment. God always extends grace before, so no one can say that they were never uh, given the allowance of grace. No one will be able to stand before God and say, well, you didn't give me a chance. Because God always gives a chance before he brings down the hammer of judgment. Always. Amen. And so this is the thing, though. Here within mankind, destruction is going to happen, but Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, in many regards, he and his family, of course, Noah was the exception to the plan to destroy the human race. He, he, he was the exception to it all. And the Bible even tells us, we go on and read the story concerning Noah, that God provided a means for Noah. God provided a means for Noah and his family in that vessel called the ark. That, that vessel that would be very instrumental in helping the survival of Noah and his family. But that means, and I think this is important today to grasp a hold of, but that means that God was providing or at least instructing Noah about required obedience on Noah's part for its effectiveness for Noah and his family. It wasn't like God just showed up in the, the desert land where they all were and just had this sheet that was there and kind of pulled away and revealed this massive ark that God was like, ta-da, there's your answer, grace. And he picked the family up and he put them on the ark and he picked the animals up and he put them on the ark and the rains came and the floods came and there's destruction of all mankind except for Noah because he found grace in the eyes of God. That's not the story, is it? The story is he found grace in the eyes of God. And God told Noah, Noah, I need you to prepare an ark. And I need you to go get the gopher wood. I need you and your sons to be very industrious about getting this together. There's a time frame here that you have. Rain's going to fall. And I need you whenever you all get this set and done and you get it all equipped and you get the animals. You're going to be instrumental in that, Noah. When you get the animals on the ark and all this takes place, I need you and your family to get on the ark. So God is so very gracious to Noah, but grace's effectiveness for our lives is not total unless we obey. Amen. It's extended. It's given to us. It's there for us. God has a means for us. But many times it involves our participation in response to grace. In response, amen, to what God is doing. And so the grace that Noah found in God's eyes in many regards was tied to Noah and his family's obedience. Because Noah and his family would have been destroyed along with all of the rest of humanity, the rest of mankind, had they ignored the instruction of the Lord. Had they ignored or rejected, amen, even if they made the ark but made it and didn't get on it, still no different outcome. Because partial obedience might as well be full disobedience. They, they had to get on that which was constructed. Look at Genesis 6 and verse 13. 
and, and we don't have media today, and so later I'm, I'm probably going to show you. I don't know what I'll do later, but anyway, because I had another little slide that had the graphic, but nonetheless, we'll figure it all out as we go along. Genesis 6 and verse 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. In verse 14, this is what I was looking at. Now look at what the Lord says to Noah. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. I'm just going to catch that one first phrase. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Because in addition to obeying the camp command of God, in addition to making the ark, amen, according to God's design, again, they had to enter into the ark. Verse 18, amen, describes that, that they must get into this ark, amen. So they're going to have to enter the ark. And so some might say, well, the ark, the ark there in the Old Testament, that's what saved Noah and his family. The ark saved them. Others might say, and would be wrong even in this respect, well, it was, it was their obedience that saved them. And it wasn't obedience alone. Because God provided the pattern and the plan for the ark. Right? And so it was initiated by God from the beginning. Grace is always something that's a God first episode. Grace, you, couldn't, you could not have salvation or be obedient to a salvation that didn't exist. You couldn't be obedient to a plan of, of repentance if there wasn't a death that mirrored it on a cross. You, 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 I say this so many times because there's that constant war. Yes, you know, uh, we're saved by faith through, we're saved by grace through faith. Not of works lest any man should boast, right? And I don't believe that we work for salvation, but neither do I believe that we're scot-free whenever it comes to salvation. Yes, I, I repent and I'm baptized in Jesus' name. All they say, well, that's works. No, that's not works. None of that stuff would do anything for your life had it not been for what Christ already did on Calvary. So that's not me saving myself. That's me responding to the cross. That's me responding... Amen. That's my response. That's my obedience to the grace that's been extended to me. Amen. I could never do it. I, I could go down in water in the name of Jesus a thousand times. But it had not been for his work. That would be ineffective. There would be no remission of sins. And so here they are. If, if it wasn't for their obedience, so there would be no ark to enter. Ultimately, God's grace shared a means for their sparing. And yet his grace, grace works in tandem with Noah and his family's obedience. No different than him working, his grace working in tandem with our obedience today. But why Noah? Hmm? Why Noah? Out of everybody that's up on the face of the earth, why know? Why did Noah find grace among all the people of his generation? Why did he? And note, note that's the way the scripture says it. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When you look at the word translated as found in our Bibles here, it's from a Hebrew word, masa, which means a search that goes beyond the surface. Noah must have been looking for, was in pursuit of grace. As a matter of fact, his pursuit of this was beyond just a, a, a surface search. This was just more than just a little simple inquiry. This was somebody that was 
willing to delve to the depths to get some type of answer or resolution concerning the grace of God. Amen. Someone else, though, made a mistake that the grace Noah found is chalked up to his character. Well, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because the Bible talks about how he was a just man, perfect or complete whole in his generation. Verse number 9 tells us there in this chapter that he was just, he was perfect or whole in his generation. But please understand this. It says he's just and perfect in his generation. Put Noah in context for a moment. Noah, according to God, is in a world where man evil, has evil and wicked thoughts continually. He's desperate, desperately wicked. Noah, that's his context. In that context of a horde, 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 horde generation, God says Noah's a just man. What I'm saying is this. Put Noah in the context of a different generation, and he might not have shined as just and as whole if the whole environment of his generation was lifted higher than what that generation was. Someone understand what I'm talking about? You say, well, man, that's a really good... Well, within the context of their environment, that might be so, but you put them in a different environment, and they might have more of a competition, you might say. Amen? But furthermore... He's in a deplorable, deplorable generation, so he stood a little head and shoulders among the rest as a result of that. And again, it may not have been the same description had he been a part of a different generation. But ultimately, also, Scripture says that he walked with God. He walked with God. And that's where I think the absolute dynamic is at for Noah in his generation. Because I don't, just, I don't subscribe just to this thought that Noah was just and perfect and therefore as a result of his justness and his wholeness and completeness, he found grace. Because that's not how grace does. Grace isn't you getting what you deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. And so I don't believe grace is seeking out, amen, the, the just and the perfect. But I think Noah found grace because Noah was in that pursuit, Bishop. He was in that pursuit. He walked with God. He wanted communion with God and walked with God. I even believe that it was he walked with God first. It's not that Noah is just and perfect and then he gets to walk with God. But I believe the justness and the perfection that the Scripture speaks about is because he walked with God. That's then the reality of what elevated and, and, and put the spotlight on Noah and his generation. Not so much the justness and the perfection alone, but that that was a result of him having a relationship with God. That what set him apart from every other of mankind of that day is that he was someone that was striving to have a relationship with God. Amen. And it had a great impact. Because let me ask you this, how else could a man living amid that type of circumstance and situation survive without succumbing to the same if he was not walking with God? Because it's the story of all of our lives. The only thing that separates us from the rest of the world is a walk with God. You hear me plainly. The very, the very, the very uh, note of distinguishment, even for the children of Israel, is that they had a relationship with God. 
And then that then affected every other area of their life. And that's what separated them or put an earmark of difference upon their life because had that been subtracted from their life, Think about Abraham and his family before they were ever called out for God. Abraham's father was a pagan. Huh? Serve false gods. What separates a man from that type of environment? A walk with God. A walk with God. Amen. And so this is what has impacted Noah's life. And that grace, he has found grace in the eyes of God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 10, but by grace... But by the grace of God, the Apostle Paul says, this is so powerful to me. And this is our story, each one of us, no matter where we may have come from. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly, look at this, than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me, Paul says, by grace. I am what I am. He at one time talks about being the chief of sinners. But then he talks about being one of the, 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 the chief of apostles. Paul was what he was by the grace of God. And he says grace was given to me. But notice what else Paul said. This is important. He said grace was given to me. But I also labored more abundantly. In other words, this, this was not just some idly, idle thing that was forced upon me and, and it has done all the work and it has made me who I am. No, 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 no. He said, I received grace and I worked with grace. Yeah, I, I labored. Whenever grace came to me, I understand what a great gift had been given to me. And so I labored. I worked that grace in my life. I work that grace in my life. So yes, I am what I am because of grace, but I am what I am because of my working with, my obedience to, my response to that grace that God gave me. And he says it so much. What are you saying, Paul? Paul's saying grace fueled my labor. Grace gave me something to live for. Grace gave me something to pursue. God's grace. Notice what Paul says. He says, and yet I, I did not get the grace of God. It was not bestowed upon me in vain. That's a powerful phrase right there. That grace was not bestowed upon Paul in vain. What are you saying, Paul? He's saying, because I chose to accompany that grace with my obedience. I didn't allow it just to fall on me or be extended to me. I... I I've said this many times. We talk about being saved, you know, by grace through faith. It's like you're out in the ocean and you're drowning, right? Your, your arms are flailing. You can't keep up anymore. And I throw out a life preserver to you. That's grace. Now that thing can be out there floating right beside you. That's grace. But faith causes you to grab that. Because you believe if you grab that, it's going to save you. Huh? Yes, grace is a part of it. But your faith, which James said, faith without works is dead. There's no such thing as a non-working faith. A non-working faith is a dead, non-existent faith. You're grabbing it. Oh, that's works. That's not works. That's a response to grace. You grab that and they're pulling you in now and you're no longer drowning and you're saved and everything's well and fine. Amen. He says, that, that, that grace wasn't bestowed upon me in vain. The, 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 the preserver wasn't thrown out to me and I just sat there flailing my arms still in the water. 
And I, I didn't just allow it just to lay there. Because Scripture says, listen to me, Scripture says how the grace of God has appeared to every man. Yeah, every man. You know the difference? You know the difference? It's between those who exercise faith and those who allow the preserver just to float next to them. It's been extended to every man. But you've got to respond to grace. He says, I am what I am, but the grace of God, the grace of God which was with me. God's grace for Noah could have been in vain. Had he not built the ark, the telling him of the pattern and how many stories to make it and the cubits width and, and breadth and having one window and one door, all of the details and the particulars that could have been in vain had Noah not built the ark. As a matter of fact, Noah, listen to me, Noah would not have been any better off knowing the ark's design than those who oblivious to the ark's design had he not built it. God's grace was with Noah partly because he worked in hand. He worked in hand with, with its guidance. He, it was bestowed upon him and Noah and his family, if you will, worked abundantly with the purpose of grace for their lives. So the laws of interpretation, I'll try to keep track here today. Whenever I've been gone a little bit, I can find myself maybe going long, get a little... You know, it's like I haven't talked to anybody for a few weeks. But. The laws of interpretation, you've heard me say this before, but the laws of interpretation of Scripture, they tell you, any seminary would tell you, that the first time that the word is used in Scripture gives us the pure sense and meaning of the word. And so with that being said, grace in the Scripture here of Genesis chapter number 6 and pardon me while I'm, I'm trying to get a file up on my phone that would have been upstairs. But um, the grace that is in verse number 8 of chapter number 6 is the word in the, in the Hebrew, hen. And I know it sounds like H-E-N and it's somewhat, you have to get the on the H, but hen. Nonetheless, it means favor or grace, charm, elegance, acceptance. But hen is from a root word, hanan. And I don't know if, you, if this would be big enough. You might not be able to see that very well. Yeah, airdrop it to everyone. Yeah, we'll have fun. But can you, someone could probably, uh, hen, hanan. This is the root word that the word grace comes from. I wish you could see it this morning. You, you can try it. I don't know if they even got it. It still might be in slack. With that being said, that visual representation to the Jews, that root word that grace comes from is very important to them because that first letter, that first letter is shaped like a canopy that Jewish couples stand under during their wed wedding ceremony. Uh, the huppah, I believe it, it's called. It's, it's quite, quite uh, simple. It's usually just four posts, and then it's, a, it's connected up top, and that's, that's the canopy that the, the Jewish couples will stand under for the wedding ceremony. Hebrew, of course, reads from right to left and not left to right, and so that's the first letter right there. You see that? 
It kind of looks like a, almost an N or a lowercase N or something like that. And so it's kind of like that canopy. They see that visual representation as the canopy that they stand under in their wedding. And they tell us, and this is Jewish, not me, but then the next two letters there, both of those are letters are called noons. That don't mean anything to you. Uh, if you were to look at the spelling of it, it would look like none, but it's pronounced noon. And one is just, it, it's called the final form or a noon sophit, that very last one. So there's a, there's, in the Jewish mindset of this representation, they're seeing then this, this canopy of a wedding and then two noons, what they describe then as a bride and a groom. A bride and a groom there in this, this word that grace is derived from. And so they see that first little noon, the regular one, as, as the bride and the second one as the bridegroom. And, and the Jews say when they see this word, then they see this, this marriage that is taking place is really what they see. The canopy, the people, the two, the man and the woman there in this, about ready to go through their nuptials, you know, and their vows and all this stuff. They say these, these two people that are between two worlds, they're, they're betrothed, of course, or they're engaged, but they're on the cusp or on the verge of being married. They're standing between two worlds. And in a sense, this is Jewish mindset, in a sense, whenever they've come from these, these wedding vows and these nuptials, that according to a Jew then, that man and that woman, have been born again they've been born again as a married couple they're, they were single but now they're together so they're now entering a new stage of life they're born again they have a new relationship they're, there's a new paths that's going to be forged it's not the same as before they are born anew or born again it's interesting that grace would be derived from a word with all of this meaning for a Jew that grace is really then derived from this, this relationship of a man and a woman coming together, a marriage. Grace really is a picture, if you will, of Christ and his church. This, this born-again moment, right, of entering a relationship with the Lord. Not the same as before. Because the grace, listen, and this is the reason why I believe Abraham, he walked with God. The reason why he found grace in the eyes of God is because of this relationship, right? This canopy under the, of wedding that took place, that grace is derived from this relationship that took place with Abraham and with God. And the reason why this is so important because grace that we find from each other is different than the grace that we find from God. Now, I'm going to use Scripture today to point this out. The grace found in our human relationships, it differs from our relationship with God. And thank God it does. But in human relationships, what you often find is that in order to find grace in someone else's eyes, you've got to exchange something for it. You give X, Y, Z in return for grace. So you barter for grace. Like you make a deal for grace. You have to have something meaningful to the other person in order to receive grace. This, 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 this is not my idea. This is a Bible idea. The Bible says in Genesis 33, and we're going to walk through a few verses of Scripture in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 33 and verse number 8, the Bible says in he, and the he that's being referred to is Esau, and he said, 
What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? Esau's talking to his brother Jacob. They've been apart from each other for about 20 years, remember? Uh, Jacob kind of took the, birth, well, the, the blessing that it would seem and uh, his mother and father told him to go back to Haran and, and marry someone of their kindred and people and so he's there, Rebecca, Rachel, you know, the seven years working for one, the seven years working for, you know, all of this stuff. And so there's been 20 years of time removed from them and so Jacob's a little apprehensive about seeing Esau because when he left Esau Esau wanted to kill him and so you know you're not you're just not really wanting to go up and hug next with someone that used to want to kill you and so 20 years have passed and he don't know if everything is the same and so as a result of all this the Bible says Esau says what meanest thou by all this drove which I met and Jacob said these are to find grace in the sight of my Lord I've been 20 years away from you. When, when I left you, you were bent on killing me. And so I'm a little, I was a little nervous about meeting you, especially if you were still angry, especially if you still had a, you know, a burr in your saddle. And so I send all of this livestock before me. I've sent all these droves of livestock ahead of me as gifts for you. Huh? Because what are you doing, Jacob? Jacob wants his presence to meet Esau before he met Esau. Look what he sent ahead of him to Esau. Genesis 32 verse 14. He sent ahead, and these were gifts for Esau. 200 she-goats, 20 he-goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milch camels with their colts, 40 kine, 10 bulls, 20 she-asses, and 10 fowls. All of that are gifts for Esau. Gifts and presents. And what is your purpose What's your purpose, Jacob? He says, these, what's the meaning of all this? Is what Esau asked. Jacob said, these are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. Because to Jacob, grace among men is an unmerited favor. Grace among men is an unmerited favor, which is typically how modern America defines grace. But grace was attached to gifts. If I give you this, I'll have grace in your sight. I get grace if I exchange this for grace. It's the story in Scripture in the Old Testament for sure here in Genesis over and over. Look at Genesis chapter 34 and verse number 11. Here's a man by the name of Shechem. Amen. He said unto her father, this is Dinah's father, which was Jacob, and unto her brethren, let me find grace in your eyes. And what ye shall say unto me, I will give. So Shechem, Shechem took advantage of Dinah. He, he basically raped her. He took advantage of Dinah. He loved her, but he took advantage of her. And this was Jacob's daughter. And so he went to Jacob and he went to the family and he wanted to find uh, some type of grace for his misdeeds that he had done toward Dinah. And this is basically what Shechem says to them then. He says, you just tell me Tell me what I should give you in order to get grace from you. Tell me what I should give. And this is the pattern of favor among men. I must give you something in order to get grace from you. As a matter of fact, Shechem, he's telling you, saying to me, and I will give. He's saying, name your price. Name what your price is for grace. Name what your price is, and I'll give it to you in order to get grace. That is the way that grace exchanges often work among men. Something, something's got to be given 
in order to be shown or given grace in exchange. Noah, though, the Bible says, found grace and he obeyed God. Joseph, the Bible even says, in his time of, of life, Joseph found grace, the Bible says, in Potiphar's sight. Remember when he was going to be the servant of Potiphar's house? He found grace, the Bible says, in Potiphar's sight. And then the Bible says, and served him. He didn't serve him to get grace. He served him as a result of grace. Are you listening to me? It's not as though he served to acquire. He served as a response to what he had already been shown. <laughs> Folks, that's where we are today. We serve as we serve the Lord today. Not to get grace. Not to earn grace. Not to have that bestowed upon our life for some type of exchange. But my service to the Lord today is because I've already experienced His grace. And my serving is my response. My service. Amen. Egypt, even Egypt was built on the back of the same philosophy. Amen. We find grace. They wanted to find grace in their sight. And they did. And they would serve Pharaoh. Notice, remember, Joseph sets everything up. He's buying people. He's buying land because they're getting things in exchange. You know, they're getting seed in exchange, you know, in order to plant, in order to be able to survive a little longer during the time of famine. But the Bible says in Genesis 47 and verse 25, and they said, this is those that were coming to Joseph, who was second in command of Egypt at this time, thou hast saved our lives. All right? Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in thy sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. To be servants meant again surrendering their will to the master. Grace though, the grace they found resulted in their obedience. Amen. And so here's my mindset. If they could obey a gracious Egypt, why can't I be obedient to a gracious God? Kato Moses that he had found grace in his sight. And Moses declares, he says, God, if I have found grace in your sight, then I want to know your way. This is Moses' words. We'll look at that here in a bit. If I've found grace, then I want to know your way. Why, Moses? He goes on to say, so that I can know you. So I can know God. Because finding, look, for Moses, finding grace for Moses was what? Finding grace for Moses was about knowing God. The Bible says in Exodus 33 and verse number 12, Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, right? He's supposed to be the deliverer, going to carry him through all this land. Bring up this people and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Oh, is that so, Lord? Verse 13, now therefore I pray thee, if I found grace, like you say I have, in thy sight, shew me now thy way, that I may, for what purpose? That I might know you, that I might find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation, they're your people, they belong to you. So grace is, is seen not here in Moses. Grace is seen not in what God does for us, but in that he is with us. Whew. 
Amen. That He is with us. Grace, if you will, under the canopy of that marriage in that word of Hanan. It is as Moses related it here. He said, and you consider that this nation is your people. What? We're in relationship. We're yours. We belong to you. Because that's the epitome of grace. God, to me, that we're yours. That we're in relationship. Look at Exodus 33 and verse 16. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? How shall it be known that we found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated? I am by people from all people that are upon the face of the earth. Noah says, how do we know that there's grace? Because you're there with us. How do we know we've been beneficiaries of grace? Because we've been separated as your people. We're in relationship with you. We belong to you. We have the marks of God upon our life. Amen. See, there were two and a half, there's 12 tribes of Israel, but two and a half stayed on the east side of Jordan. They even bargained with Moses. Moses, let's stay here. This land is good for pasture and we have herds. Let us stay here. Two and a half tribes want to stay there, right? There's half the tribe of Manasseh and two other tribes that want to stay over here. And they had a skewed view. Please understand, they had a skewed view of grace. To them, grace was what God could give them rather than being with him. But understand today that grace is really getting God himself. Listen, you could get a lot of things from God and not have God. Because it happens today. People get healings from God, but they don't have God. People get life spared, but they don't have God. And they might see all those moments as grace, but real grace is not what he does for you, but him being with you. Amen. And so two and a half tribes had it all skewed. Numbers 32 and verse 5. Wherefore, said they, these are the two and a half tribes. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession and bring us not over Jordan. What? what? Hold on. I mean, going over, I mean, this, this was the plan and the intent of God. We're going over Jordan. We're going over this river of descent. I'm going to have my tabernacle and my temple, you know, in Jerusalem. That's where I'm going to put my name. That's where you're going to come. That's the reason why later we see these same people erecting an altar on the other side of the river because they were wanting an altar when there was an altar, but they just chose this side. They wanted the land more than they wanted to be with him. Grace is actionable. It goes among us. It's with us. Scripture says in Exodus 34 and verse 9 that it pardons sin. It makes us inheritors. I'm saying, what I'm saying is this. There's evidence of grace. Exodus 34 and 9. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. Look, we want you. One relationship, we want to be here, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity, evidences of grace, and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance, evidences of grace. The apostle Peter talked about in First Peter chapter number four, he talked about the manifold grace of God. See, grace, grace is not like a one-sided diamond. Grace is multifaceted. Manifold, the manifold grace of God. It's not one dimensional. 
Grace is simple, but it's also complex. When you think you figured out grace, there's another aspect to grace to explore. Grace can't be pigeonholed. It can't be just put in a box. There's the manifold grace of God. And yet the Bible tells us that the grace of God that bringeth salvation again, as I said earlier, hath appeared unto all men. That's in Titus 2. And it goes on to tell us then in verse 12. Titus 11 talks about how it's appeared unto all men. Titus 2.11, Titus 2.12 then tells us that even then that grace begins to teach us some things. To deny ungodliness. There's a list of things that it says that grace, grace, teach. grace is not just some idle standbyer. Grace is actionable. Grace isn't just something extended. As Paul said, I, it, it was bestowed upon me and that force of grace began to work something in me. Huh? So grace even began to, to teach some things. Have you ever been in a situation, and I know you have, without asking, but how is it that two people can hear the same lesson from an excellent teacher, one gets it and the other doesn't? Is it an issue of aptitude or attitude? I'm convinced grace appeared to all of them in Noah's day, but was not found of them because they weren't looking for it. Noah did nothing to deserve grace, but he did respond with obedience to the grace he was exposed to. Let me tell you just personally something that happens sometimes at our house. I've picked up something that was right beside something of my wife's. Picked up something of my own that's right beside something of hers. And didn't even realize that that thing of hers was next to mine. Because I was picking up, you know, my item. Just picked it up. For instance, I, I could grab my, my pen that's lying by my... Uh, you know, one of Dawn's, her, her pair of white-rimmed glasses. Fabulous cat-eye glasses. I could pick up my pen that's laying right by her white cat-eye glasses, and she could ask me then later, did you see my white-rimmed glasses when you grabbed your pen? And you know what I honestly have said? No. Though I may have had to even push the glasses aside, because my pen was a little wiggled underneath, you know, the nose piece of her. To push that aside to grab my pen, I'll tell her honestly, and I'm being 100% honest. No. How in the world, we say, can something like this happen? It's because I wasn't focused on her glasses. I was focused on my pen. I was looking for my pen. Her glasses were just as readily available as my pen. But that's not what I was looking for. And so when you ask me if I saw them, it doesn't register as though I have because I wasn't looking at them. They were important to me in that moment. There's going to be people that's going to say, grace was never extended to me. Grace was never given to me. I never had that opportunity. But the fact of the matter is, folks, sometimes we're grabbing for other things that's right next to grace. But because that thing is so important, 
That thing is, is the medium of the moment. We'll be able to, we'll be standing before God like, I've never seen it, I never saw it, because you wasn't looking for it. It wasn't important to you. I want to move from a place of humanity transactional grace to a place of transformative grace. Amen. Where I receive the grace of God, but I work in tandem and in response to that grace that's been extended to me. If you'll stand with me this morning. what the story of grace in Noah in Genesis does for me is that Noah's finding grace amid a world that's submerged in wickedness. He finds it in a world that, and it brings and offers a profound understanding, if you will, of grace beyond our conventional definitions of, of unmerited favor and things like that. Because in this narrative in Genesis, grace diverges from the other places of Scripture of the transactional nature of grace that's in human relationships. If I'll give you this, if I can get grace in your sight. Because Noah's encounter with grace, it wasn't a passive one. Amen. It, it, it required and it, it, it was shown forth in his obedience and his action. Amen. And, and the, his compliance with the divine instruction of build an ark. Get on the ark. Bring the, bring the animals on the ark. All of that that was there. All of that. His, his, his response and grace together is what saved Noah and his family and those eight souls. It was showcasing grace more than just unmerited favor. Grace in many respects is a dynamic interplay of obedience and divine favor. Again, to have that little transformative union that the word grace is derived from of Hanan, new paths are birthed, new relationships are birthed. To the Jews, it's a, it's a newborn situation. I don't want to trade gifts. God, your grace is so multifaceted. If we could just close our eyes this morning, bow our heads, your grace is so multifaceted. Hallelujah. God, I, I, I'm looking beyond the surface. I'm looking beyond the surface today. I'm in a pursuit amid a very pervasive evil, Lord, in, in my world today. Man, again, is very, very wicked. Man, again, is very much so. His mind is set on evil continually, Lord. Our world, in many respects, waxes worse and worse and worse. God, I want to discover grace. I want, Lord, to go to a place beyond just some passive reception of it. Lord, I want to seek it out and and when I find it, I want to respond to it. God, it's manifold nature instructs, Lord, and transforms. God, it's beckoning me. It's beckoning us as a church beyond just transactional. Amen. Exchanges. I'll do this if I can find favor. I'll do this if I can find grace. No. Lord, let it take me to a deeper relationship of God being with me. God, that grace would just await those that seek not just salvation, but a profound connection, a transformation 
transformation with God. A grace that's born from actively seeking and pursuing the Master. And I'm going to embrace its transformative work in my life. I'm going to be the Apostle Paul and stand with a testimony on my lips and say, it was not bestowed upon me in vain. I did not allow it to lay there idly. I did not allow it to be an arm's reach and reject it. Nor, no, no, no. I pulled it in close. That was my response. I brought it into my bosom. That was my response. Whatever instruction, whatever grace is trying to teach me as a dutiful student, I, I obeyed and I fell in step with what grace was teaching. Grace is unveiled today. Hallelujah. It's being with God. It's being relationship with God. And it has appeared to every single one of us whether we have realized it or not. These altars are open today for somebody that would like to one more time go on a deep search of God's grace. It's appearing. Sometimes the search is this, just diverting what you had been looking for to something else. I'd recognize the glasses if instead of looking for the pen, I was looking for the glasses. Sometimes it's just a diversion of what you have been looking for. Maybe we've been looking for the wrong things. Maybe we've been looking down the wrong roads and the wrong venues, the wrong avenues. Maybe we had some type of false perception of what it is. Nonetheless, let's, let's hone our focus. Let's hone our attention today. It's there. It's there. Amen. It's screaming at us. It's trying to get our attention if we'll just divert our attention where it needs to be. I know we'll see it. We'll find it. Let's respond to it. Let's respond to that grace. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we need it today. God, we need it today. Help me, Lord, to be a student under the master of grace. What it teaches, what it instructs. Help me, oh God, to give ear and open my heart and my understanding and my will, God, to the purposes and the whims of grace in my life. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Maybe, you, maybe you've become separated from it. Maybe you've let your hand off of it. Maybe it's got shuffled among many other things. And you need to go on a dive. You need to go on a search. You need to go on an intentional journey. And once again, reaffirm the words, reaffirm the guidance, reaffirm the direction of grace for your life. God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, I need him. I need him. I need him. I am what I am because of grace today. I am what I am because of grace today. I am what I am because I've responded to this. I am. It has worked in tandem with my response. I am what I am. Oh, it's entered in. It's forced. It's pushed some things aside. It's endorsed some things and it's annihilated some other things. Grace is doing a work. I've allowed it free course in my life to, to call some things into question and, and to endorse other things that needed to endorse. I've, I've allowed a free course in my life. I, I've taken every string and every piece of bondage off of grace to do its perfect word and its complete work. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, it's appeared to every man. It's unveiled. It's not transactional. It's transformative. It's transformative. Oh, la mama kashai obo hosala
Mm, I love him. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes, God, we thank you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.